You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into episode 148 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Bridget Pru along with Scott McLaughlin. Brian DeFelice is still down in Florida. We were freezing our butts off at the Winter Classic today. Scott, first of all... Brian's recovering from the hyena attack last podcast. We should update the audience. Uh, He's going to pull through, but but unable to make it tonight. Yeah, that (laughs) that sounded like a dangerous situation he was in um, at the end of last podcast, but... So, Scott, we, we get to cover the Winter Classic today. Kind of a crazy event. Um, it started out really slow, um, but but I want to talk about a few things bef- before we get into that. Um, first of all, just being as the two of us have been there the whole weekend, like the whole atmosphere, just like what was your impression of everything? I thought it was awesome. You know, it's. I feel like every time the Winter Classic comes around, everyone talks about, oh, has it lost some of the luster? You know, does it still mean a lot? And in the in the weeks leading up to it, I kind of wanted those things. Like, I can't say that, you know, two weeks ago I was super excited for it or anything. Like, it's on the calendar. It's like, okay, yeah, like, you know, that's pretty cool. We'll, we'll get there when we get there. And then, so for us, you know, we kind of get our first taste of it Saturday night. There's a there's a media skate there after the Bruins Sabres game. So we're actually out on the ice. Um, it was rainy. The ice was crappy, but you're skating at Fenway. So, and then Sunday, the two practices and obviously Monday, the game and even, you know, getting there before the couple hours before the game and seeing everyone out on the street. It's like, once you're actually there and into it, it's, it's hard not to kind of get swept up in the moment and, and, just the vibes of it all because um because everyone else is excited like you can tell fans are excited for it you can tell players are excited um you can definitely tell it still means something to them you know after the game uh you know obviously so Bruins won two to one they come from behind with two goals from Jake DeBrusque in the third period and DeBrusque calls it probably the highlight of his life so far Nick Foligno says it's one of the best moments of his career and obviously he's had you know a long career with you know, admittedly, not a ton of like winning on the big stage, but um, you know, a lot of success for him individually. And so, like, you hear that, and it's like, or you know, Jim Montgomery, like, kind of marveling over all of it, and whether it's his pregame press conferences or afterwards, and it's hard not to get swept up in all that. Like, even you know, I'm a little little cynical by nature at times. Like, even for me, it's like. Nah, you know what, like, yeah, it's like, you know what, like, maybe, maybe I wasn't, like, super excited about this a couple weeks ago, but, like, okay, yeah, this is still really cool. Like, this is still, you know, it's, it's still fun to be at and and to see how it all plays out. And 
I know it's not, you know, great viewing experience depending on where your seats are and all that stuff, but and the ice isn't the best for the players, so the play's a little sloppier, but um for one game a year, I think you you can overlook all that stuff and kind of just just enjoy it. I was thoroughly amused by like by pretty much everything. I don't know. I was just going about the weekend. Like everything amused me. Scott and I got to do the media skate. That was so cool. Just skating on Fenway, looking around. I was having a great time. Um, and then yesterday we got to go cover the practices, um, talk to both locker rooms. Uh, and in the locker rooms, you just got this sense of excitement. Like everybody that I talked to, they were just, they wanted to talk to you. Like they wanted to explain to you how excited they were. Yeah. Um, and I went over to Jeremy Swayman and he was so excited to like to just talk about it. And at the time we didn't know whether or not he or Olmark was starting the game. And But you know, but what's interesting is is he knew obviously. Like he already knew what the decision he was. He knew, yes. He knew and but yet he was still, so he's excited. still excited. Yeah. He was so excited. I started talking to him. He pulled out his helmet that had the Red Sox painted on it unpromptedly just like hey look at this isn't this cool like I I was so excited to get this artwork done with um, David Ortiz Ted Williams and Kurt Schilling and he was just so pumped about it and it was really nice both sides of the mask were came out really nice but you just got that vibe from every single person they weren't they weren't like tight you know like they were loose they were they were happy like it was yesterday was probably one of the easiest days as a reporter because everybody wanted to talk about it yeah, and and I got the sense from the Penguins too, and they were a team that came in on a bit of a skid. I think they had lost four in a row, so now five in a row after the Winter Classic. But even in, in their locker room on Sunday, like the way they approached it was, hey, like this is a great chance for us to reset. You know, we've been looking forward to this. Like now we're here. You, they were like, you know, you can kind of put some recent struggles behind behind them, and you know, obviously didn't work out on the score sheet, but you could tell like they were excited for the whole process as well. Um, so, yeah, just, to, you know, it, it, my guess is it's probably going to be a while before the Bruins are in another one, but you know what? We've thought that before, and somehow they end up in one every couple of years. So who knows? Maybe, like, 2024 they're back in it. But, you know, you look at it from, like, the league perspective, it's – I feel like they're starting to find a good mix of – the go-tos, the major hockey markets where they know, you know, okay, this is going to get eyeballs, and mixing in some other teams that, you know, haven't had the chance before. Like, we've we've seen it in, in Minnesota. We've seen it in Dallas. Next year it's going to be in Seattle. That got announced today. So, um, you know, so you're going to get Seattle and Vegas, who obviously neither of those teams have been invo- involved before. Um, Getting the baby teams involved. Yeah, and then, you know, like, so they'll go to Seattle. I'm probably a little bit of a ratings hit. I don't would guess that won't do as well as Bruins Penguins at Fenway Park. But then you know the next year they can go go back east and get whoever involved again. And it's um it's nice that they that they're kind of doing that, and you're starting to see more teams involved. I will say though, this the fans in Seattle like. For the Seahawks games, that it gets crazy. In oh, there. the like, fans! The fan, the fan, the Seattle seems, fans are going to be crazy. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, I don't know if the national TV the rating, audience yeah. is going to be as big. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get a chance to see it on TV, um, or li- I guess listen to the broadcast on TV because we were there. But um, I, I was told that there was some, you know, audio issues with like 
I think Sweet Caroline and like um, just the the music part of it was it sounded good at the stadium, but yeah. there were some like complications, I guess, on TV with it. And it was nice having the Boston Pops there. Like I prefer that over a DJ. It was nice. Yeah. It was like background noise, but it was also like, oh, this is much better than like some stupid EDM song. Yeah, like I, I almost wished the pops were playing like every commercial break or stop. Like I, I get that you know that's not really what they do, and that's probably unrealistic. But it was like you'd get you know your usual set list and stuff in between, and then like the you'd hear the pops, and it was like, oh yeah, all right, like cool. Um, so yeah, that was that was a nice touch. Um, thought the Black Keys sounded good. Bell Biv DeVoe doing the national anthem was pretty cool. Uh, they did a good job. So like all, all that stuff, seeing Bobby Orr and Johnny Busick and Zidane Chara out pregame for the uh, puck pitch with uh, Jason Veritek and Tim Wakefield. Um, yeah, I, know, I don't know about the whole puck pitch idea, but, the, but just having them out there was, was nice. And then uh, Tom Angeli sung Take Me Out to the Hockey Game. Yeah. Um, there was some crossovers that I was like, this feels like forcing it. <laughs> but you know what? Some people were into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so we can start to transition to the game, but, you know, you mentioned earlier, like, Bruins in particular got – both teams kind of got off to a little bit of a slow start. It, you, play was a little sloppy um, and not much offense going on early. And you tell – like, at times the crowd seemed a little out of it, a little quiet because there just wasn't a lot going on to, to cheer for. There, you know, never mind goals, they're – weren't even a ton of great scoring chances. There weren't any fights or big, you know, a couple good hits, but like nothing earth shattering. Um, so at times, you know, you felt like the crowd was kind of fading out of it a little bit. It's also much harder for noise for noise to carry in, in a big stadium like that than it is at the garden. Um, but then the third period Bruins wake up, they're down one, nothing. And, um, Start calling back. I, I thought, really, I felt like it started defensively where they kind of just completely shut the Penguins down. I think the Penguins had 13 total shots the final two periods and, like, very few high-danger chances after they went up one nothing. And Bruins finally started to claw back and get, you know, just kind of power move from Jake DeBrusque to, to tie it where first he takes takes a Matt Grizzlick slapper off the foot or ankle or whatever and looks hobbled and you're like, oh crap, like he's probably hurt. But he, you know, kind of shakes it off a few seconds later. Marshan finds him net side and he tucks it in and then he ends up getting the winner as well on a nice drive to the net by Taylor Hall, really doing all the, the hard work on that one. Um, and the puck kind of pops out right to DeBrusque and he buries it. And, you know, really from the time DeBrusque tied it, obviously through the, the final whistle, the crowd was great. Like you, you could tell, like, okay, now – now they're up. Like now, they're they're into it and and bringing the noise to close this one out. Yeah, and and that first Jake DeBrusco came at the end of a power play. Like, I, the, I forget who was in the box, but he was like halfway into the zone. Like he wasn't fully in there, and I think DeBrusque knew that you know it had just expired. Maybe get one last chance on this shift. Try the wrap around. See if you can sneak it in, and he gets a five hole onto Smith. Which, by the way, kind of a weird situation early in the game. Um, Tristan Jari was the starting goalie for the game and he left the game with a lower body injury 50, about 15 minutes in. So they have to make a goalie change mid first period. And, you know, like all weekend they're preparing for 
Jari to be the guy in net. Um, and so DeSmith comes in and it's it's just a, a little bit different for them how they how they prepare and then after the game um, Mike Sullivan said he didn't have an update on Jari um, but it, besides the fact that it was a lower body injury yeah and they they ruled Jari out between the first and second period officially so had anything happened to to Smith you would have had an e buck situation emergency backup goalie uh, and for that's the what Classic, Scott which... that's what Scott roots for. By the well, way, I don't, don't be history. I don't root for injuries. No, but you like but a good e bug. I do like e bug. Um, I mean, who doesn't? It's like it's just it's a crazy thing that like can't possibly happen in any other sport. Like, there's no just like hey, we need another quarterback. Let's get this guy from the first <laughs> right. row. Like you know, in baseball, it's like the closest thing would be baseball where you get position players pitching. But even that, it's like they're at least still professionals. Like they're they're on the team. <laughs> they're uh, not. They're not. 45 years old and yeah. a Zamboni driver, but that would be that would have made history. Yeah, but so it would have made there was a point in the game where I would have been all for that because it was really boring. Like the beginning of the game was like is very slow, and you know what? Throw that in there, energy's up immediately. Yeah. I mean, the way the Bruins were playing through two periods, they may not have uh, tested the e bug all that much, anyways, because yeah. they really were not generating anything offensively for for two periods. Yeah, and then and then the Jake DeBrus goal happens, and then you feel like the crowd was the crowd was there. Um, they they wanted a reason to cheer throughout the like the beginning parts of the game. But they just didn't have much to cheer for. There were like the the chances were few and far between. The one good chance before that was DeBrusque's shot off the post. That was you know the closest it came to a goal before that. And he just had such a strong sixty minutes. Um, I I think I said to one of the other Bruins reporters in the first period like DeBrusque looks good. Like he looks solid first period. Almost like he had two really good scoring chances, yeah. and then he ends up. Um, I'm, I wasn't surprised at all when it was him that tied tied things up, and then just even better for him to get the game winner there at the end with two and a half minutes left, I think. And um, he he brought you know a bunch of energy to that stadium, and it's kind of funny because we've talked about this before. Last year at the Garden, he was getting booed by by Bruins fans yeah. after the the trade request was um, made public, and now the exact opposite thousands of people just cheering for him um p- people have come full circle on what they think of debrus since that moment um and the perception is changing and uh back when you know that was going on last year i think it was last november yeah. um people were saying oh he gave up he gave up on the team but now you look at him and you're like he gave so much more effort to dig himself out of that hole that you can't you can't say that about him. No, and today was another good example of him getting moved quote fingers down in the lineup because Jim Montgomery had to do something between the second and third periods to try to jumpstart the offense. And the movie went to was Pasternak up to the top line with Bergeron and Martian, and DeBrusque ends up on the second line with it was mostly Krejci and Hall. I think Zaka might have also gotten a couple shifts there. But it was mostly Hall, Krejci, DeBrusque. And, you know, I've made this point before, but last year, the year before, like, that's the kind of thing where I could see DeBrusque taking that as a demotion and not responding well. And this year, it's like he gets down, he gets to that second line, and he's the one bringing energy and, like, driving that line. Now, the first goal comes right after the power play, so he's with all the power play guys. 
which makes it, by the way, the odd five-on-five five goal where you have four forwards on the ice. Little, you know, one of those fun hockey quirk things. Um, but then the second one is with it's with Krejci Hall. So, uh, yeah, it's he's Jim Montgomery said this after the game. It's like he's not just complimenting guys that he's playing with. He's kind of bringing the energy and like sparking whoever he plays with. And you know, Montgomery makes that move, and you're thinking primarily you want to get that top line going. Like now you've got your three best forwards on the top line and Hey, if we're not getting anything from any of our lines, at least try that and get one line going. But the way DeBrusque has been playing and the way, the way that he played today, he gets that second line going too. So like it works both ways. And that's not something I'm sure he could have done a year ago or or two years ago, but he can now. Yeah. His, his mindset has pretty much come it's either changed or maybe gotten back to the way it used to be for him. Um, but I think he's definitely matured uh, beyond what we've seen from him before. And, and there's no way he can look at, at like that as a demotion. You're giving up your spot to Pasternak. <laughs> like it's, yeah. and, and by the way, you know, as well as anyone else on the team that there needs to be a spark and you got to get it from somewhere. So um, I wasn't surprised when they, shuffled it that way to try to go back to perfection line for a little bit um and you know what they've been doing it all season when it needs to be done they move um guys around and they know how to play with each other and it doesn't seem to throw them off in fact it works to to give a spark at the winter classic um and you know they end up taking the win out of it and I wanted to mention this quote from Montgomery about DeBrusque after the game um because he was asked, like, you know, what are what are you most surprised about, like, when you got here, and or what are what would people be surprised about? And he said, um, DeBrusque is a lot tougher than people think, and he's a lot more committed than people are aware. So that's pretty much acknowledging the fact that the fan base was calling him a certain, like, saw him a certain way, and that he's actually like people are backing him up and saying like no he's very committed like you you guys only saw some of it like behind closed doors we knew this was the player he could be yeah and i think i feel like everyone on the bruins has always felt like this is the player debrus can be it's just been a matter of how do you get him there how does he get there and you know it's what kind of bothers me a little bit is like when people oversimplified and just like oh well Cassidy was too hard on him and now Montgomery's better for him so that's it it's like well no like let's make sure like DeBrusque is held accountable as well like some of the problems he's had in the past were his fault like it wasn't just Bruce Cassidy was mean to him like a lot of it was at times his effort being inconsistent you know him not being committed defensively at times um but really, the, the consistency was the big thing. And it's like, all right, even if the coach is mean to you, like, you can bring that. Like, you know, that's – Bruce Cassidy isn't stopping you from being a consistent player who brings the effort every shift. So it's it's oversimplistic just to say, like, it was the coaching change. Obviously, that was a big help to him. But, you know, to, to what I you were saying earlier – it was earlier, just like, like a fresh start. And it's yeah, a good it's place also, to it's, start mentally. It's DeBrusque took it upon himself to – to start playing like this and to be more committed and, you know, to kind of, to understand like, okay, this is where I am. 
this is where I want to be, and this is how I'm going to stay there. And, you know, that that confidence starts to build. Like, once you start doing that consistently and you realize, okay, I am consistently playing in the top six and producing, it makes it easier to start bringing that effort all the time and bringing that consistency. And, you know, and it all just kind of adds up for him, whereas in the past it was – it was almost like one thing would go wrong and then everything would fall apart. It's like, okay, he's not great in his own zone, but then he would like let that affect his offensive game. And next thing you know, it's like nothing's going right. And that, you know, a lot of young players deal with that. But he, yeah, at times it probably took longer for him to kind of get around that curve than some people wanted. Um, also, when you're like looking like – when you feel like you're on the outside looking in and you're like, I want that spot, but I don't have it. And you feel like you're like he was getting healthy scratched and he was playing on the third line and at times on the fourth line last season. And then it's it's much easier to have that role and like hold on to it and want to like hold on to it and not feel like, you know, this like I worked my butt off. I have this locked in and, and like just continue to do that. But sometimes when you're on the outside looking in, you can get down. Um, and it felt like he was down last season and absolutely always in such a good mood this year um, when we talked to him. And Bergeron did also comment about this after the game because it was, it was a big topic of conversation um, after the Winter Classic because a lot of media members came in from outside of Boston. So we're getting some questions that like we know people have answered before about about DeBrusque, but, you know, being asked by national people, Pittsburgh people, what have you. So we're getting, you know, some some of those answers again. And Bergeron just said that he worked on everything he needed to work on. And he really he really put the effort in in the offseason and throughout the year to I almost feel like and this is how I am. If I get yelled at by like a boss, like I will and, and they tell me I did something wrong. I want to like do it super well to just spite them. Like I feel like he's like spiting like Cassidy or whomever he was mad at. Like he's like I told you so. And and sometimes that's what you work for. You're like motivated by the like I'll show them. Yes, and I think I, the I think... boss is not you. I'm not talking about you. Scott's well, a very no, I, I, nice person. I yell at Bridget a lot. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like <laughs> I'll show you Scott. Um, I think I think DeBrusque is there now. I think at times in the past it's probably gone the other way where he gets yelled at and he was and he would be the employee that would then kind of sulk and mope around and not really be motivated to prove people wrong and instead kind of just get down on himself and you know just to go back to like the point I made about the lines it's like now wherever he goes in the lineup he's playing the right way and like he he's it's like he has the mindset of I'm gonna be this I'm gonna be the spark like I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the one who gets us going. Whereas in the past he got moved around the lineup and it was like it was almost like uh, I'm I'm getting buried I'm getting demoted ice time's going down this stinks and you know this whole team kind of has that mindset like look at you know Taylor Hall going out to the third line it's like that's you know that's the guy who's won an MVP in this league and he goes down <laughs> Number there one overall and, draft pick and, and says, right. Like I asked him about it, you know, a game or two after he had gotten moved down, he was like, Nope, don't view it as a demotion. And cause he said, they're he so deep that way. Yeah. yeah. It's like the team's so deep that our third line is like a second line or like, and our second line is like another first line. Like yeah. that's just how they look at it. 
And, you know, and I think like someone like Taylor Hall embraces, okay, if I'm on the third line, I'm going to help make it the best third line in hockey. Whereas I think at times in the past with DeBrusque, he'd go down there and like didn't really have that approach or that mindset. Whereas, you know, he, he really hasn't been bumped down to the third line at all this year. Maybe like a stray shift here and there. But I feel like even if that happened now, I think he would have a much better approach. Like, I think you would see him almost follow Taylor Hall's lead and, like, you know, be like, hey, Taylor Hall went down there and, like, succeeded. You know, I'm not going to be the one who goes down and, and you know, just sulks or, or lets, lets my play drop off. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, Roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. To that point, too, like, it's so simple. Like, a lot of these guys on, on the team are leading by example in different ways or verbally leading in different ways. And that's another thing that we wanted to talk about was, you know, what the what the turning point really was in the game. Um, and after the second period, Felino and Bergeron were the guys that were talking to the locker room. Montgomery mentioned, you know, he went in and he said he was being a little bit negative and Felino asked, you know, can I speak to the to the room? And he did and he was able to be the voice that helped them, you know, straighten things back out. And he said, Bergeron said, like, we're not worried about it. We got this. And and so they kind of put the team, they led the team, got them back in the right mindset for the third period. And, you know, a lot of guys that have just been like natural leaders like Felino, uh and Bergeron and then you see other people, like you mentioned, Taylor Hall, leading by example, Linus Allmark. You know, when your goalie plays that well, you're – motivating everyone else to play well in front of him because you want to like you want to do it for him so like there's all sorts of energy coming from each different guy pulling them to become this like complete team yeah and and after the game you know it was interesting because like Felina was one of the first people available in the locker room and he didn't say like I took the locker room like he wasn't gonna be the one to tell us that but we found out afterwards that that's what happened but he was asked, like, what was the message between periods? And without saying that it came from him, he said, like, yeah, we basically just said, like, we haven't shown the the Boston Bruins yet. Like, we haven't been ourselves today. So, you know, let's not, like, let this game go to waste and leave here without showing the Penguins, showing the world, like, who the Boston Bruins are. And, like, so that was kind of the message. They've – and – both he and Montgomery and a couple other players mentioned, you know, that they've been the best third period team in the league. So, like that's clearly something that they're embracing where it's, it seems like that probably came up between periods where it was like, Hey, like not only have we not been ourselves, like we're going to go, we're going to be ourselves in the third period and we're the best third period in the team. So 
best third period team in the league. So let's show it. Like let's get this done. They and, they've dug out of way bigger holes than a, a one nothing hole, yeah. including against the Penguins earlier in the season. Yeah. Like one a one goal deficit with twenty minutes left um, is not it's not something that that they're daunted by at all. So they're it's easy to stay calm in that situation. I thought it was kind of funny that Montgomery said he was kind of the one that was like getting antsy and agitated a little bit more. And the guys were like, no, no, no. And he said, I don't even have to coach really (laughs) pretty much. And he said that to us several times. Like I just be, I'm quiet back there and I listen to them communicate and they, they straighten things out themselves. Yeah. And we've heard this a few times now. Like, I don't remember, I meant to look it up. I don't remember exactly which game it was, but there's a game recently where he said, you know, like he was worked up and he told Bergeron, like, going to the second to mission, it's your room. And the team came out playing much better. So he was like, whatever he said worked. And <laughs> and I know, like, it's weird because I, when I tweeted that at the time, and I, I haven't seen if, like, anyone's had this reaction today, but I saw, like, some fans who were like, Wait, it's like, what does Montgomery even do? And it's like, okay, part of being a good coach is knowing your team and knowing your leadership core and knowing when you should take a step back. Like, that's part of being a good coach is you don't always have to be the one to give the rah-rah speech or getting no. guys' faces or whatever when you sense that, okay, it's the player's turn, turn it's the veteran's turn to take control or – those veterans leaders tell you it's time for them to take control, like trusting them and knowing, okay, yep, I'm going to, I'm hands off. I'm going to go in my office. I'm going to hang on the hallway, whatever. Like that is part of being, of being a good coach. So it's not, it's not like Jim Montgomery being useless or like not doing anything. It's, it's knowing when that is the right thing to do. Yeah. It's like, okay, he, he controls the practices. He controls the systems. He controls the lineup. Like it's, he's doing all those other things. But like when it comes to the motivational stuff, it's just he's he's figured out the best way to work it. He says that he's never had a job like that before, where he just kind of like sat back there, watched it play out, and and trusted that that the right people were gonna um, have the right message um, when they needed them to. Yeah, and and. Bergeron has talked about how, you know, you don't want it to be every game that one of the captains is addressing the locker room or whatever, and it's not with them. So it's when they they feel it's needed. And sometimes it's going to be different people. Like, uh, you know, obviously, like we just said, we heard today it was Nick Foligno, and we know it's been Marchand other games. Uh, You know, Pasenak will step up and say something. Like, so it it can be – different guys you know it's not always going to be Bergeron if it has to be a player's message I almost feel like Charlie Coyle does that like with his individual line like with Trent Frederick and and Taylor Hall who if people don't know he's kind of a quieter guy um so he is more of that lead by example kind of guy but then I feel like Charlie Coyle's like pep talking that that third line because they all sit next to each other on the bench between their shifts and, and sometimes you see it on behind the B them you know just having a conversation and each line kind of has at least one guy on it that's setting things up, saying the right thing. Yeah. And, you know, in the past, I'm sure this year as well, like that kind of extends to D pairs too, where it's, you know, a lot of times it'll be like one guy who kind of takes the lead on, on a defensive pair. So, um, yeah, obviously lots of leaders at, at all different levels. And 
you know, I think that's part of the reason they've been such a good third period team be- because one, they they like have that right approach within the room, and two, now I think they just have the confidence building. Like when you hear players saying like, "Hey, we're the best third period team in the league," and we want to show that, it's like they just have this belief that they're going to get the job done. And obviously they haven't been perfect in the third period every game. They've even a couple times recently, they've actually blown leads. Um, but today it was one of those examples where, um, you know, they step up in a game where they're not really playing well. And there's all the weird conditions of it being outdoors. And yet they, they find a way. Yeah. And, and I want to ask you a question. So like, I, I happen to notice, like, some people kind of disappeared in, in the game. Like, who did you think stood out, even if they didn't make an impact um, on the score sheet? And who did you think kind of disappeared? I mean, on, on the Penguin side, I feel like Crosby was kind of really not as impactful as you would have expected in this kind of a game. Um, and then some guys on the Bruins side, too, like, kind of just, like, faded into the background a little bit. Uh, well, it's interesting you mentioned Crosby because I thought that line – was like pretty much dominating the Bruins through at least the first half of the game. Um, you know, they saw a lot of the Bergeron line and uh, either Lindholm McAvoy or Lindholm Carlo. There was some juggling on the D pairs as well. And um, that Crosby line was playing, a, spending a lot of time in the offensive zone. And again, no one was really generating like a ton of great chances, but to whatever extent that anyone was, that line what was doing it like Jake Gensel had some good looks um Brian Rust had one early in the game and then it felt like it completely swung like Mm -hmm. that in the third period I pretty much didn't notice that line uh, other than maybe when they're in their own zone trying to defend so um you know yeah that was a key it was a key to keep them from scoring more than they did during that early part of the game when they were kind of in control and then being able to flip the tables and kind of start pinning that line in because I didn't really think the Penguins had much going outside of that line. I mean, Malkin had a few chances. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, from the Bruins' perspective, it's tough. It's like it's a tough game to analyze because I, I – I don't feel like any one player was, like, awful or anything. No. But... But really, like, this, there was, like, DeBrusque was the standalone. Yeah. And then there was, like, flashes here and there. Like, Hall had a few chances and then set the setup of the second goal. Yeah. I thought Marchand had some moments, some, some positive moments. He had, uh, again, especially on the power play. And, you know, kind of feels like this has sort of been a theme where it's like, okay, he's brilliant on the power power play and you know you're still waiting for him to really get going five on five but he had uh an incredible play to keep a puck in the zone and then go like through his own legs and end up creating you know sort of like a mini odd man rush for himself um i think that was in the first period maybe the second and he ended up firing over the net but that was a really good chance and then on debrusque's first goal um Martian's the one who gets the puck down to him, and I think I was talking to Nick Felino after the game about this because obviously Felino's, you know, he does that same move that DeBrusque did, getting it to the side of the net and then making that power move to the front, trying to tuck it past. And I asked him, like, you know, what's the key to trying to get the goalie to open up there? 
And he said, well, really, it starts with the pass coming in. He was like, you need whoever has whoever's making that pass to threaten shot or fake shot. And, and get Pasternak the goalie, was on the opposite side as well. Yeah, and get the goalie moving. So, yeah, so whether it's Martian faking the shot himself or faking the pass over to Pasternak, you want to get the goalie moving, you know, before it even gets down to DeBrus because then DeBrus can get it, and now the goalie's going one direction. He's trying to reset. He's not totally square. He doesn't have everything closed up. And on that goal, it's it's Martian who kind of fakes the shot and gets it down to DeBrus. So just, you know, a nice, subtle play where, you know, if, Mar- if Martian's slower with the puck or he just kind of like lazily tosses it down to DeBrusque and doesn't really seem to be doing it with purpose, then DeBrusque was probably looking at um, Casey DeSmith being completely square to him and not opening up his legs. Yeah, and two people I want to bring up. First of all, do you know who had the most shots on goal without looking, if you were to guess? Hall. Hall. Hall had five. Marshawn had four. Um, and yeah, he had, Hall had quite a had few on the, on the power play. He did. So that's what I mean. Like, Hall had those spurts where he was looking very effective. He also had a few shots blocked that were pretty decent um, shots. And But here's here's my question. And there was so much going into the game, like, Pasternak, Pasternak. What did you think of him? Yeah, I thought it was a pretty quiet game for Pasternak, actually. Um, just didn't really seem to be much going for him. You know, that second line wasn't doing a whole lot when when he was on it, and then they switch it, and I thought perfection line generated a couple... Actually, I wouldn't even say they generated a couple chances. They had a, some good shifts together. And like I mentioned, you know, they got the, the Crosby matchup a lot and were able to pin them in, in in the third period at times, but they didn't really turn into like a ton of great scoring chances. Um, so yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't think like Pasternak was poor or anything. I think he, he had one bad turnover that I can recall. Um, but yeah, I, just a quieter game from him in general. I thought when the Bruins were on the power play, I think the Penguins did a pretty good job taking that shot away and almost just taking him away as as an option completely. It felt like it the power play wasn't even really running through him. Um, so, yeah, sort of the, the rare quiet game for Pasternak. And, uh, he had two shots. Yeah. So I thought that and, – and you think back to Tahoe, and you're like, okay, he kind of had that, like, put the team on your back kind of a, yeah. a game at Tahoe. And the Bruins get down by one, and you're like, someone's going to put the team on their back. And you're thinking, oh, maybe Pasta will do it again, but it ends up being DeBrusque. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, and on Pasternak, I mean, I, I didn't really have anything else to add about his game. Like I said, I think it was just kind of a quiet off off game for him. Um, you know, I guess the other big news or talking point um, over the weekend besides the Winter Classic when it, as it relates to the Bruins is, uh, you know, there's been reports or rumors or however you want to term it that either, you know, 
a Pasternak extension is close to being done or that there was progress made. There was, you know, obviously one of the biggest reports came from one of our hosts, Rich Keefe. Um, to me, you know, I wasn't able to confirm anything, so I can't sit here and say if there's a deal done or not or close to being done. Um, but it does seem like there was some smoke. Like, there were kind of a couple different things that popped up that at least seemed to indicate that something changed this weekend, that um, either one side moved, you know, a little to get the ball rolling or there's some sort of breakthrough. Um, seems like something happened. Like, stuff doesn't start to, like, leak out like that if – absolutely nothing happened and they weren't even talking like it. So I, I feel like in the last few days at the very least, I, I feel comfortable saying like there's been some sort of momentum and something changed. Now, does that mean the deal's done or it's going to be announced in the next couple of days? I don't know. I just, I haven't been able to get enough information on that front. Um, I don't, I don't think Keith is, is, a bomb thrower like some other people. Like, I don't think he just tweets that out completely recklessly. So, um, you know, we'll see. I, it's it's certainly possible that he ends up being right in these next few days or sometime over the next week that, you know, we hear about something. Do we think, though, that 11 is the number? Like, 11 million a year? That makes a lot of sense to me. That's what I've felt for a while is, is where it will end up because – you know, before the season, I felt like a starting point was basically the, the exact same deal as McAvoy. Eight years, nine and a half million a year. And, you know, you'll get other deals for some forwards. You know, Matthew Kachuk signed the exact same deal as McAvoy, eight by nine and a half. And that already kind of looks like a real value for the Panthers. Like, you feel like Matthew Kachuk probably could have gotten more than that, especially when you look at the season he's having. The season Pasternak's having, you would think he can get more. Like, you know, Johnny Gaudreau got more than that. He's not having a great year. Um, you know, Matthew Barzell came in, like, right under that, and Pasternak's much better than Barzell. So, yeah, so I I started to feel like, okay, nine and a half is probably low. It's probably going to have to come – Bruins will have to come up from that. And from Pasternak's perspective, like, if he went to free agency, he would be easily the the biggest free agent on the market. And you could easily see a team splurging and going 12, 12 and a half and like getting up towards that Nathan McKinnon, Connor McDavid neighborhood. Yep. So, okay, you have the Bruins probably a million and a half under 11. Pasternak at absolutely like best case scenario can maybe go a million and a half over that. So it's like 11 just seemed seems logical to me so yeah i can and definitely also see the, that end up, the term end up the number eight for 88 million is almost like per, just like the perfect it, it yeah. looks nice it's like okay number 88 gets 88 million like it's it kind of would be like the headline would write itself pretty much um and i think it's ballpark whether or not he gets 11 or maybe like 11 and a half um I'm not really sure what, how far they are off on the money, if that's even the issue. Um, but we always have expected it to be that maximum term. Yeah, um, so that's not even part of the question, really. It's about 
money and or concerns about the future. Um, but yeah, I was, I was hoping that um, he puts this out and I'm like, oh, maybe this is going to be like a winter classic, like Jan- like first day of the new year, like some sort of announcement, like Poss is going to be here beyond 2023, you know, like kind of like that well, kind of thing. I know the running, the running joke was like an- announcing it in Fenway in, you know, John, oh, to John just Henry's rub it house. in their face. Like, that would have been so perfect, Scott. Yeah. That would have been such a big F you, though. Like, even with John Henry now, you know, being Owning owner the of the Penguins, I, I don't think, like, the Bruins would – I don't think it's really in their nature to do something like that. But And then, uh, then at Xander Bogarts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, that, it would that would have been, like, an incredible time to announce it, but – We'll see. Um, you know, it's interesting because just before that, the most recent reports from, you know, this was probably like a week ago at this point, was from Pierre Lebrun who had talked to uh, Postonic's agent, J.P. Barry. And all Barry said was that they're still apart, but negotiations continue. They're still talking regularly. And then um, Barry also texted back to Steve Conroy of the Boston Herald um, you know, basically saying like he can't say if progress was made this weekend or not. He called he, he called Keith's report rubbish, quote unquote rubbish, um, which is like my favorite like old man slash British term. Yeah, rub rubbish is good. I do like that word. My grandma uses it. Um, but you know, agents also have they have a vested interest of trying to keep the story on their terms and not oh yeah they're not, not letting things get out until their client wants to. Announce it however Pasenak wants to announce it. Yeah. I mean, they, they're not going to blow it. And, yeah. and especially if there is some, like, I can see there being, like, some unveiling, like, kind of like a grander, like, hey, look at this, like, more opulent things. Like, not just, like, ruin that kind of surprise or planning that they might be doing. But once again, we might be putting the cart before the horse here. Like, there could be nothing. True. Um, yes. And we could just be like having this wave maybe things were really going well in contract talks and maybe you know tomorrow they're not like it it's not a done deal as far as we know um Keith seemed pretty confident about it um but we're still waiting on a f- like I won't believe it until it's like official and the ink is dried and I've seen it and they've announced it and <laughs> well I think like you know once one of the big national reporters has something indicating that like it's getting close, then I think that's ob- that that'd be a pretty obvious. Well, sign, today you know? today we were sat next to Elliot Friedman in the press box. He's one of those big yeah. national reporters. I, I I didn't get any inside info from him. No, I wouldn't be able to pass it along even if I did. But you know. <laughs> um, by the way, Elliot. So yeah, we were next to Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick, and. Uh, I was gonna say two very nice guys. So I, I, nice. I never met them in person. First thing, um, want to know the first thing he said to me? Hey, you want some coffee? <laughs> and I was like, No, but thank you. Yeah. And like, so when I introduced myself, it's like, Elliot is the like he was the type of person where it's like you immediately got the sense that he was, whether it's an act or not, like that he was like actually interested in like what I do and who I am. And I'm like, yeah, who the hell am I compared to like Elliot Friedman? But it's like. I don't know. I appreciate meeting people like that because there's other people you'll meet, especially in 
sports media business. Um, Especially national. Who you'll introduce yourself and you immediately get the impression that this person wants nothing to do with you and just wants to, this to be over. Um, not the case with, with Elliot and Jeff Merrick. They were they were very nice people. No, some of the most. And I think hockey media too. Like Media members, they're very low maintenance in hockey. There's not like huge egos or anything like that. But it was just kind of funny that the whole... The crew that we had today was just such an interesting, like, everything, like, who was in the locker rooms and who was in the press box, and it was all over the place. And people, I saw so many different people this week, like, Chara was just sitting in the press box with a stuffed bear for a little bit when I was there yesterday. and I'm, like Almost got a buzz cut from a drone. Oh, he was scared of that drone. <laughs> I was too, though. I'm not going to lie. I was like, me and Sarah Sivian were, like, hiding behind the desk, and, like, Chara, at one point, I got a video of him, and it... It comes up and he says his line because he's a great actor. He says his line and then it flies away and he goes, that was so close. <laughs> like he thought it was going to hit him in the face. Yeah. I like walked in. So people who haven't seen it, I think uh, it was BR on ice, Bleacher Report, TNT, like they all tweeted out because it was for it was for their broadcast. And um, it's a one of those long drone videos like people have probably seen for other ballparks or events or whatever where the drone takes you all around the park, you know, it like flies over practice and, and it came up in the press box. And when it was in the press box, like I was actually like walking around the corner and I was like, what the hell is this buzzing noise? And I look up and like things are just like hovering in the middle of the press box. And I'm like, not only that, Scott, it flew within feet of people's head. And I when that video is incredible because when I watched it, the video, once it was over, like the final cut of it it i don't know how he fit like i thought the media box was like tight quarters to try to fly it in he flew it through a essentially golf cart sized like hole he flew it through like a hole in the green monster he was flying it through all these tiny little spaces and i i don't know i was scared and he flew it right over brendan carlo's head and like i thought it was gonna hit him in the head because the part where he's like banking it around the inside of the rink where the players were practicing and it came right down and it was following I think it was Marshawn like right behind it was insane I don't know who this person was I was flying it um and I have a drone and there's no way in hell I was doing any of that (laughs) (laughs) my drone has sensors so it doesn't crash into stuff this was literally just a GoPro strapped to like this hover like like small tiny drone yeah the those drone pilots who get in all those tight spaces, like, I, I, I haven't flown drones. Obviously, you you have, but yeah, it seems like that requires some some real talent as, as also a drone pilot. Ballsy, so ballsy because you're flying it like a foot away from people's faces. That well, yeah, I mean, imagine like you hear like Sidney Crosby now out for the Winter Classic because he got drilled by a drone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, no, but like I swear to God, Scott, it almost hit Brendan Carlo in the head. Yeah. It was like it grazed him, just like it grazed Chara. But no, and those are just and then the video ends with someone body checking it, which is yes, Marshawn, yeah, body checking it. Um, but that's just one of the random things that was like going on around it. Like we didn't even talk about the the baseball uniforms yet. Like the Bruins, they had kept this a secret. We asked them over and over again. Uh, you know, what's the theme? Are you are you guys planning anything? And it turns out that 
this was a complete surprise. I don't think anyone had any idea they were doing this. I, I you know what? I should have leaned in and just straight up predicted baseball uniforms yeah. because I mean, it when, w- when, we were, when we were talking about it, I don't know, a couple episodes ago, I mentioned that McAvoy had said something about like it'll fit the occasion, and I think I said like my guess is it's going to be something baseball related. I, I should have. I should, because like I was thinking, like it's probably uniforms, and I, I should have just said that. I should have predicted it. But. Well, but they they weren't the ones telling. Like you, we could yeah. have like maybe thought of it, but like they kept it under lock. Like they they locked that down, and um, they show up today. Some of them like did not look natural in those things. Some of them looked comfortable, so they come out. Apparently, they had been planning this since that went pretty much when they at least last season they had an idea that they wanted to do this because it took them so long to get those uniforms made. That they put this plan in. This plan was in place for a while. Um, I think maybe even right when and, it was announced that it was going to be at Fenway, they were thinking. And by That's the way, what we're going to do. It was Bergeron's idea. Bergeron had not yet committed to playing this season at that point. So I don't know. Like, did he did he know then that he was going to be back? Or he's just feel the, like he's just the designer, the stylist. Yeah, I don't know. Like, are you really planning Winter Classic uniforms if you're thinking that you're not going to be on the team? Linus Allmark literally, I'm guessing, went online and bought 1950s cleats. And by the way, he has no experience in baseball. He was asked. He said, zero, nothing, never. But he leaned in all the way. I hope those cleats weren't too used. They looked used. You saw them. They looked old. I saw them. No, none of us could get our phone because he just kind of flashed them during his press conference. None of us could get our phones up in time to get a picture of him. But he literally was like having so much fun in that press yeah. conference. Which, by the way, not usually someone who wants to like joke. Like right. he likes to joke, but it's not someone that really wants to stick around and talk too much. But he was in a different mood today, and he put his feet up on the table and was yeah. just sitting there with like these well, old and cleats. He, and most guys had, you know, were already in like they're in post game attire. They didn't put the uniforms back on after the game. All Mark did, and not only that, he had his. His baseball like catcher's helmet too. Yeah. By the way, Angelina, one of the other writers, told me she was standing near him. He was getting changed, like changing out of his pads and stuff. And he leaned over to someone and said, "Do I have time?" And then he ran out the door, and that's what he meant. He's like, <laughs> "Do I have time to go put put that back on?" Yeah. He just came in so proud. And and um, the funny thing is, we also saw them. First of all, they warmed up baseball. They were throwing a baseball around. They are throwing a football around. They are kicking a soccer ball around. I was like, guys, we're here for hockey. But, but no, some of them were um, not great at baseball. Um, then there were kids like, you know, the kids from the U.S. that grew up probably playing t-ball yeah. or baseball at some level, like Charlie like, Coyle. But it was like they were trying to get in every sport that's ever been played at Fenway. I, I did not see any uh, Irish hurling, though. Yeah, I, don't, I, I don't think they got that. that one in. But yeah, then then Frederick and Coyle were passing a football around for a little bit, and it, it was funny seeing like Pasternak throwing a baseball, and some of the guys just out there just living it up because you're at Fenway, so you, you got to do it. Yeah, and that's you know that's kind of the, the other thing about this. Like I mentioned, players being excited for it, and the other part of that is they clearly want to like enjoy the moment and take it all in, like they. So after Sunday's practice, they had their family skate as well. So, you know, all the wives, girlfriends, parents, kids are, like, all out on the ice. And, um, you know, some some of the kids are, like, racing and trying to race their dads. Uh, you know, Bergeron 
said that he thought he had, had beat his oldest son, but then his son claimed that the race was to the boards, not just to the line. That's and, classic. Yeah. That's exactly. a classic <laughs> thing for a kid to do. <laughs> um, and then, like, kids are in the locker room after the game, which... Yeah, he was speaking to them in in French, telling them, "Hey, you gotta you gotta wait a second. I'm doing an interview." Felino's kids. Uh, oh, got... Marshawn brought them all pizza. All the kids that oh, were yeah. in there. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, I saw kids running around pizza, um, which made me want pizza. And then I stupidly didn't grab some in the press box, and Bridget did. And... I came around the corner with a pizza in my hand, no plate, and Scott looked jealous. But um... we're now recording an hour and a half later, and I still want pizza, so I think I know what I'm getting after this. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, those are just some of the the things that were. And, and this is this is something that I heard um, Andrew Raycroft say on the air before the game when I was driving when we were driving into Fenway um, because he was on for about a half an hour um, with Gresh, and he was saying. What he's so excited to see about about all this is that they get to have fun. Like back when Raycroft was playing, like you couldn't throw pucks to fans. Like you would get in trouble. Yeah. Like they're they're allowed to show their personalities now in this in this I mean, day he, and age. He did get to drive a Zamboni across the Zagan Bridge. That was <laughs> <laughs> that was for a commercial, Scott. <laughs> okay, um, cool, but. But yeah, no, you get you get to see the personalities. It's like it's encouraged. Yeah. Like the star power is. Like people are able to bloom and create those images, and the NHL is smart to be like, you guys have as much fun with this event as you want. Have as much like show your personality. Um, and you know, the Bruins have a lot of personalities that that were shown off this this weekend. Yeah, and uh, you know, we mentioned possibly having a quiet game on the ice, but um, after Sunday's practice, Montgomery was asked, uh, you know, a question about like. Pasternak's kind of swagger and like you know what that kind of brings to the team and he said you know like Pasternak's kind of the one that opens things up and like allows us to to be ourselves basically like he's I have the quote right here yeah um he helps us be who we are probably (laughs) probably if you look at the Bruin swagger you look at David Pasternak I think he keeps everybody loose I think it allows him them to live and learn from him yeah, um, which is which is exactly right, and obviously Pasternak is one of the big personalities in, in the whole league, um, you know. And you could see that kind of getting played up in in TNT's coverage leading up to the game. Uh, they got him a pasta made of pasta, uh, and he goes, "Oh, it's my favorite spaghetti." <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, you, you're right. Like that's, and it's. Hockey needed that because it was such. It was almost like being dull and boring was encouraged. Whereas, like you know, no one's supposed to be too flashy. Like I, I remember, in, and they're still not divas. Like they're still. I mean, like I remember in the '90s when like Sergei Fedorov would get ripped for being, well, one for being Russian because every <laughs> Russian got ripped as soft at that time, but two for like being flashy and having like a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or whatever it was, or wearing his white skates because that stood out too much. And it's like, well, Yarmir Yager used to have a little bit of swag yeah. back when he was first coming in. Yeah, definitely. Like jeans and jean jacket and jean shirt. Kind of, <laughs> kind but of like, an outfit you know, going. But those guys were kind of the outliers then. And, and now it's, you know, look, hockey still isn't football or basketball in terms of, you know, huge, almost, bigger than the game personalities but 
I feel like at they, least there's a few more than they, there used to be. They're like surpassing baseball though. Like I feel like the charisma yeah. of some of these NA, well, NHL Brid- players are beyond I that. I don't know if you've heard, but baseball isn't boring. Baseball isn't boring. So listen to that podcast on WEI <laughs> from Rob Bradford Odyssey. Um, quick plug to him, but you know, like you, they have they've been able to show their price. Like Pasternak is one of the best sports personalities in the city, and he's recognized by people who aren't just Bruins fans and. He's also recognized from in other markets where, like, okay, everybody knows Connor McDavid. Well, a lot of people know Pasternak yeah. and the suits. And they had him ranking his favorite suits that he's ever worn. Um, right after Christmas, they did a video of that. Like, it's endless content with him. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, even to that point, like, leading up to the game, the Bruins posted a video of him showing off his custom stick and skates for the winter class. Maybe that's why he had a they did a maybe whole. It was, maybe they, it was just new equipment. He wasn't wasn't broken in yet they did a whole video of how his winter classic jacket was made which he had this like fancy like designer and i saw it hanging up in the locker room but like even just that it was like quirky like all sorts of different pieces of fabric put onto this jacket which by the way he was definitely bummed out he didn't get to wear in because they all had predetermined they're gonna wear this baseball (laughs) outfit so he wore it the day before but he was definitely a little bummed he didn't get to wear that to the game yeah um so what else? Any anything else we needed to to cover or? Uh no. I mean, I think we've covered we've covered everything from the outfits to the you know the presentation to the actual game, um, and just how exciting it was to be there. Obviously, the Bruins. It would be different. Like it'd still be fun, but they're happy that it had that happy ending with a win at at the end of the day as well. So kind of just like puts a bow on it. Big fun weekend, fun event for them in the books they have those memories and now it's time to move on yeah and now and now they head out on so they're done with games tuesday or wednesday but now they head out on a little mini three-game west coast road trip to la kings san jose and then anaheim and uh you know one of our listeners emailed us a while back kind of highlighting this as like isn't this you know kind of like a typical letdown stretch like you have all this excitement at home of the winter classic and everything and now you get to fly cross country, and I could definitely see that happening. But yeah, and those know, are ten thirty starts. By the way, those uh, those yeah, games in LA wait. and San Jose, yeah. ten thirty starts. Very excited about that. Um, yeah, I mean, like like this team does have good leadership, obviously. So I think they'll be they'll talk about it, and like there'll be some efforts to hedge against having that sort of letdown, but. It is also like kind of nature. It's you know, how like how do you get super amped up for a game in LA? You know, three days after all this excitement around the Winter Classic. Um, so we'll see. Obviously, you know, we'll be doing episodes uh, around those games. Um, also, we know World Juniors are going on. I was going to be completely honest with all the time we've been spending at Fenway and, and getting ready for Winter Classic. I have not been able to watch nearly as much as I usually do. Um, I caught like the first two USA games and then it's been it's been rough for me trying to catch the rest of it. But I'm going to get back on that. Yeah. Especially because like for me, it's a lot of college guys there that I like to follow because that's my other job. So um, like Cutter Gauthier, for example, playing for Team USA is a, a BC um, player that if you you know if you're a BC fan, you can follow him along there. Or even if you're just like you know and you want to see someone who's going to be in the league 
soon. He's yeah. number five overall draft pick for the Flyers. Like, there's a lot of guys like that. Well, also, Lane Hudson's a fun one to watch. He goes to BU and is a BU plug. Here we go. Is one of the. You know, he's a small defenseman, but he's one of the best defensemen on the team. And also, he's a Montreal Canadiens second-round pick, so you're probably going to be seeing him in, you know, what I hope turns back into a Bruins-Canadiens actual rivalry at some point. Um, but he's a good one to watch. I know U.S. beat Germany 11-1 to today in the quarterfinals. So, uh, yeah, so U.S. is moving on. Um, Fabian Lysel, Sweden is moving on. They beat Sweden. Uh, beat Sweden. They beat Finland in the quarterfinals. Um so both those teams still going. Like I said, beyond that, I, I'm not going to pretend to have any sort of deep insights on what's happening in World Juniors. It's been it's been a lot more background noise than something I've been uh, able to really like devote time and energy to. I've been watching the recordings of them while I eat breakfast, and that is the only time I have to watch TV at this point. So <laughs> that's how I do it. All right, I think we're good. Yes, um, very good. Do we have Brian next episode? I don't know. We don't know. Maybe maybe it's, Brian has become the leader of the pack of hyenas and he's never coming back. I don't know. That's true. Yeah. Like, maybe it's like a werewolf type situation yeah, where he know. starts to turn into a hyena. I don't know. We're going to we're gonna have to see how, how the recovery goes. <laughs> he's just um, hanging out in Florida. Um, but anyway, hopefully we have him back soon. We'll probably record right after that Kings game. <laughs> Not at night because I will barely be awake by the yeah. end of that game so I'll probably be like a friday morning pod um might be up by like what midday friday so something like that um will be the next time that we drop an episode but um thank you for listening and we'll talk to you then